not even wrong in this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Me. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. So it looks like Major League Baseball is trying to send a message to Aaron Boone, the manager of the New York Yankees. Boone, if you haven't really followed lately, is kind of getting known for getting thrown out of baseball games. I think he's got four ejections in a 2023 season. And there's so many different things that I want to touch upon when it comes to this individual situation. Because I'm going to close it with the possibility of where baseball is really going. You think of the role of the Major League Baseball manager, and if you wanted to take a summary of the 600-something pass ball shows, one of the uh, prolegomenal points you'll hear is the fact that I don't have, I don't appreciate any of the value that the Major League Baseball manager has today. A lot of it's been stricken from them. They've basically been castrated from the autonomy that they had in regards to control what happens on the field in regards to the players. The average manager and no manager in baseball writes their own lineup. Very often, the only thing they really have control over in the game is when to take a pitcher out of a game. And even that's kind of done for them. They're saying, hey, around this many pitches is your limit. And obviously, there's other people that are pointing at different signs when it comes to the eye in the sky and the extra analytics that are put into your average run Major League Baseball team. So the manager doesn't really have that much that they could do to impact what happens on the field. And Aaron Boone is looking to try to use himself a little more, try to be more than that standard guidance counselor, the person that just brings the lineup card to the to, to the umpire. He has seen, obviously, the t- deterioration and the depreciation of Major League Baseball umpires. A lot of them retired after the 2022 season. So you're looking at where you're at. Obviously, there's a lot that you could overanalyze, micromanage, whatever, in regards to the Major League Baseball umpires. Now, they're not going to be as good. They're not going to make as many calls correct. There's going to be, with the inexperience in the position, there's going to be more mistakes. And obviously, Major League Baseball teams are at the top of the line when it comes to identifying mistakes. They can identify a pitch being just off the plate. All they got to do is just look. They got a tracker. Hey, all right, it says it was a little bit off the plate. You as the fan, me as the fan, have the ability on the MLB.com app to track every pitch. Hey, here's the strike zone box. This is where it was. And it was a strike or a ball. Is it a strike that was called within the strike zone, outside of the strike zone, a ball, outside of the strike zone, a ball that should have been called the strike? We all get to see that in regards to our, our own eyes. So Aaron Boone's looking at it and saying, hey, I'm going to get on every manager, every umpire that makes a bad call. And I'm going to track them. And every time an umpire misses a call, I'm going to say something. I'm going to make a big deal about it which is his prerogative. He's got the right to do that. Major League Baseball saying, hey, this is happening a little too much. You're kind of making a mockery of our umpires. And then there's the other element of the umpires that they all get together. They all understand what's going on. You hear Aaron Boone calling from the dugout. It might be a little bit less of a leash for 
an umpire that doesn't want to hear his shit, his bitching and complaining over every single incorrect strike call. Now, how many calls is an umpire, especially a home plate umpire, calling a, the balls and strikes? Are they willing, you know, they certainly don't want to get any call wrong, but is there any leeway? Yeah, sure. They're given a couple bad calls a game, a couple missed calls. They got the right to do that because of the human element that's involved. You know, baseball players, uh, a batter is going out there trying to get a hit 100% of the time. They're lucky if they succeed two or three out of the 10 times. So seven or eight out of every 10 times, they're screwing up. An umpire has got to be 100% correct. And their job is micromanage, which leads, obviously, into the over-discussion, which you've heard a lot lately, about the potential of an automatic strike zone, which I could see. You know, Rob Manfred's looking to drastically change the game as much as he is. And there's no doubt that that's happening. There's no doubt that that's his narrative, his goal, his objective. He wants to come out when he's done being a commissioner in Major League Baseball and flip the game completely upside down. He wants the game to be 100% different than it was when he took it over. And having an automated strike zone is going to be a big step towards it. Now, you look at it, how feasible is it? You want to have some human element in it, but I think in the end, you want the calls to be gotten right. You want the correct calls. You know, to have an automated strike zone, and you know, we'll see exactly how accurate it is, but you're, you're seeing it tested throughout minor league baseball. So, you know, in a triple A level, you're using an automated strike zone. Is it working? Is it not working? I'm not hearing too much pushback against it. The calls are probably more correct. But I see something in regards to a challenge system, the challenge system that exists in Major League Baseball, and maybe extrapolate it to include balls and strikes. Maybe you have three or even maybe five calls you could change. Now, five might be a little much, so I think the number three sounds a little more reasonable. But you give a team, um, you could challenge three strikes, striker ball calls, or maybe start with just one. And then have that as a strategy. We're talking about the manager not having the ability to do too much, to uh, to have too much to do with what happens on the field. But you give the manager the ability, hey, was this strike, this strike turned into a ball, or this ball turned into a strike impactful enough that I should use it now as opposed to wait until later when perhaps you may not have that ability to do. And I would say with your challenge system, whether it's right or wrong, you should only have the ability to challenge maybe one, two, three. Like I said, I used the number five. Man, it might be a little much. But whatever that number is, no more, no less. You don't get a reward for getting a challenge correctly because everybody sees the, the stuff that's going on there. And one thing that I'll be absolutely excited, once there is some sort of challenge system or automated strike zone, we could forget about catcher's framing. Catcher's framing is the most legalized form of cheating in Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball history. It's glorified. It is um, over-discussed. It's spoken about as if it is a, um, a skill. You're talking about a catcher being rated on how well they frame or how well they cheat. How well they manipulate an umpire by convincing them that a ball that was outside of the strike zone was in the strike zone. 
basically taking advantage of the umpire's incompetence. The same incompetence that you as the fan, the fan that's pushing and says catcher's framing is so great, the same very fan, the same very umpire that you're saying is incompetent at their job already. So you're making it a skill, a stat, something that is very good for the player to be able to manipulate an umpire. I'd be happy to see that outside of baseball. Here's the issue. It's probably not happening right away. Like I said, I could see some sort of progression in some sort of replay system. And listen, if I can look in the MLB.com app, just like any fan or anybody else that's watching the game, and identify right away that call is wrong, if Major League Baseball uses that same technology in a challenge system, I want that call answered right away. I don't want anybody in New York having to decipher whether that pitch, which is in the same spot, you can't move it, is a ball or a strike. I want that replay automatically generated. And you say, hey, I'm going to challenge this. That challenge is going to be overturned. Knowing that, the majority of the time, that call is going to be overturned because a manager or anybody that's involved with a Major League Baseball team isn't going to waste their time on a pitch that isn't that blatantly obvious. So that's number one. Number two, a little bit with hockey and basketball, you're looking at maybe something unprecedented that we have never seen before in the history of basketball. And perhaps if things progress the way that they started to, we may see something we've never seen in the history of the NHL before. And that's a team advancing to the next round after being down three to zero in a series. And you're looking at the Boston Celtics, and the reason that I believe that the Boston Celtics have a chance, it's going to come down to Game 6. Game 6 is in Miami. The Celtics have won the last two games. They've held themselves up, obviously a convincing win in Game number 5, making it a 3-2 series. It's not that big-time 3 nothing deficit that they were facing just a couple days ago. I like the fact that Boston's got Game 7 at home if they get there. And if they could somehow win in Miami today, then I think they got a very good chance of being the second team in the history of the four major sports or the three major sports that have seven-game playoff series to advance after being down 3-0 in a series. Obviously, we know, ironically, the other one also came from Boston, the Red Sox, in 2004. And it came back back from a 3-0 deficit to beat the New York Yankees. But not only that, swept the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. So I believe that that same type of momentum exists with the Boston Celtics. Are they going to pull it off? Well, whoever wins Game 6 is going to win that series. In other words, Miami takes care of business at home, finishes off the series. Obviously, they're going to the NBA Finals. The Boston wins in Miami. I think they're going to have an easy time in Game 7. And I predict that they will sweep the NBA Finals against the Denver Nuggets. That's if they get past the Miami Heat. It's interesting to see how it will turn out. But I do believe that there's a little magic in the air. And I believe a team that can overcome a three-games-to-nothing deficit in a semifinal type of setting is going to have that extra and added momentum to succeed in the Finals. And as much as I like Nikola Jokic, as much as I like the Denver Nuggets and want to see them win their first NBA championship in their first NBA Finals appearance, if the Celtics could get there in that manner, overcoming a 3-0 deficit against the Miami Heat, 
I predict they will win the NBA Finals in four games. As far as the Dallas Stars are concerned, they're down 3-1 against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Golden Knights looking to win their first NHL Stanley Cup. Dallas Stars won, what, 2001, 2002, something like that. They're, they're looking to get themselves back there. They were down three games to zero. Obviously, their captain taking that major penalty, the bad cross-check, which probably cost them a Game 3 win. They came back to win Game 4. They got Game 5 on the road in Las Vegas. Now, if they can win Game 5, all of a sudden, Jamie Penn, their captain, is done with his two-game suspension. He gets to join them in Las Vegas in a potential Game 6. Maybe that's enough of a momentum to kind of get behind. You know, hockey is such a momentum-driven sport. Maybe you get your captain back when you won a couple games in a row. They could win, let's say, game six, you know, in, in that type of setting at home, which would be great for them, right? Winning at home, which will they'll have game six in. And then they could go to game seven in Las Vegas and maybe pull off a miracle. But be interesting to see. Next time we go on the air, past ball show, johnpealy.com, the whole thing. Did one of these teams pull off something? That has only been one done once in the history of sports. And speaking of sports, right now we're jumping into today's saving sports history segment, going back to the year of 1904, when New York Giants first baseman Dan McGann sets a major league record with his fifth stolen base, five stolen bases in a game, a record that would last all the way until 1991 when Otis Nixon broke the record for the Atlanta Braves. 1937, New York Giants pitcher Carl Hubble, 24th straight victory over two seasons with a win over the Cincinnati Reds. 1968, legendary NFL football coach George Hallis retires from coaching. 318 wins, six NFL titles with the Chicago Bears. 1968, the National League Awards expansion teams to San Diego, which to this day is still known as the Padres, and Montreal who, of course, are known now as the Washington Nationals. We wonder what expansion, you know, does it come after the Oakland situation is taken care of, after the Tampa Bay situation is taken care of, when they have secure homes, or maybe an owner that's willing to give a little bit of a shit and, you know, stick up for the region that the team happens to be part of. Maybe Major League Baseball is expanding. And if it does, Montreal is a very uh, logical fit to get another Major League Baseball team. 1972, Mark Donahue wins the Indy 500 after leading for just 13 laps. But what stands out about this, this is the first of crew chief Roger Penske's 18 Indy 500 victories. 1975, Stanley Cup Finals, the Philadelphia Flyers win their second straight with a four games to two victory over the Buffalo Sabres. Bernie Perrant with his second career con Smythe award for the MVP of the finals. In 1981, Lenny Randall tries to blow all foul. You can look it up on YouTube, one of the more famous bloopers in baseball history. Uh, the umpire, you know, even though he does blow it foul, still rules that it's a fair ball. 1982, John McMullen, you know, New Jersey local type of story, buys the Colorado Rockies, who ironically, I'm going to Denver after this show to watch the Rockies and the Mets, but the Colorado Rockies hockey team, he purchases them, moves them to New Jersey, to the Meadowlands Arena, where they become the now New Jersey Devils. 1984, 
Rick Mears wins the Indy 500. 1987, Phil Necro makes his 700th Major League start. Only a third pitcher in baseball history to ever accomplish that feat, joining Cy Young and Don Sutton. 1990, Indy 500, Ari Leyendijk wins. And on the same day in 1997, Ari Leyendijk wins the Indy 500 again. 1993, Dale Murphy retires with just 398 home runs, too shy of 400. 2001, Helio Castronovis wins the Indy 500. 2012, Dario Franchitti wins the Indy 500. 2018, Will Power wins the Indy 500. Um, birthdays on this day, May 27th, May 27th, 1903, Walt Kissling, Hall of Fame NFL guard, part of the all-1920s team with the Cardinals and the Bears later on, coached the Pittsburgh Steelers, was born on this day in 1903, like I just said. Sam Sneed, legendary golfer, um, seven-time major champion, 82 overall tournament championships, at this point, still a record of most tournaments won. Was born on this day in 1912. 1954, Pro Football Hall of Fame guard and tackle for the Rams. Jackie Slater was born on this day. 1956, NFL kicker Nick Lowry, a part of the PBS lore in regards to being a guest on this program. 1968, two baseball Hall of Famers were born on this day. Frank Thomas Obviously, legendary first baseman for the White Sox and other teams. The Jeff Bagwell with the Houston Astros was also born on that same day. Deaths on the 27th of May, 1937, we lost Frank Grant. One of the best Negro League second basemen of all time. Probably the best Negro League's player in the 19th century. 1953, Baseball Hall of Fame outfielder Jesse Burkett passed away. 1975, Ezard Charles, a heavyweight boxing champion from 1949 to 1951, passed away. And then we lost Hockey Hall of Famer Maurice Richard on his day in 2000. Also 2006, Craig Ironhead Hayward, one of the more bruising backs with his time with the New Orleans Saints, passed away on this day. And then Billy Buckner. Died on this day in 2019. Of course, known for infamy for letting the ball roll through his legs that uh, gave the Mets or helped the Mets to a victory in Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey by Two A's, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're interested in hearing me flap my yap mouth, you can check out the Passball Show on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, videos, of course, on YouTube. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on it in my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this.